Hey, hey, this is Joe Walsh from Tamarindo, Costa Rica, bringing you the Get Out and Serve podcast. This is episode number four. I got Nikki Hearn with me. How you doing? Good to be here. It's good to have you here. And special guest, Robert August. Good to be here and good to still be alive. All right, then. This is probably our biggest podcast yet. Got Robert here on the show, who's by far one of surfing's uh, legendary surfers, shapers, uh, surf travelers and explorers. And um, it's really that last part, the surf travel, that uh, that gets me excited, Robert. Got so many questions to ask you about being in the surf classic Endless Summer. Um, but I think we should probably back up a little bit for those that maybe have never met Robert, uh, uh, don't know his backstory. Um, yeah, let's start at the beginning. Robert, where, where are you from? Um, I grew up in uh, Seal Beach, California, but I went to high school in Huntington Beach. My father was a surfer way before, you know, he was... Blackie. Yeah, my dad, Blackie. And uh, so I started surfing when I was like five on a little piece of wood. That's all there was back then. We lived right on the beach in Seal Beach, and I surfed every day of my life. And when was this you started surfing on that piece well, of wood? Well, let me see. I was born in 1945, so that was in 1950 when I first started catching waves and standing up. And the lineup was not nearly as crowded as it is today in Southern California. There was very few surfers around. And our house on the beach there was kind of the center. My father mentored a lot of these guys that were growing up and surfing. So, you know, Bruce Brown, John Severson, all these guys hung out at our house. So it was pretty pretty exciting for me. That's awesome. Um, so you grew up literally beachfront in Seal Beach. Oh, yeah. Yep. Wow, that's amazing. Just to back up, why was your... What was the nickname Blackie for your dad? Where did it come oh, from? Well, uh, during this period of time when there was, uh, you know, World War II and the draft was happening, mm-hmm. my dad, when he was young, him and a friend of his were riding bicycles and they got run over by a truck. And my dad's friend got killed and my dad's leg got crushed. And back then, you know, the medical attention was not what it is today. And when they put him back together and everything, one leg was an inch and a half shorter than the other. So when they, he got drafted to go in the military and got checked out, he was rejected because he had a limp, you know. So, but what they did do was they put him into uh, Northrop Aircraft, which was in the Los Angeles area, and they taught him how to be a welder. Well, my dad just came off the beach where he was, you know, super tan and dark and everybody else was white as a ghost and somebody nicknamed him blackie because he was almost black he was so tan and he went great i'll take it i love the i love the nickname because his real name which my grandmother got out of the obituary was oral walter you can imagine how he got teased in school oral hey i'll take blackie it's great (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he was professionally, everything that he did in car business and oil business, he was Blackie August. He liked it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a real famous name in uh, surfing history as well. I, I remember hearing stories from you about, in your youth, your parents driving uh, you down, taking family surf trips down to Baja in an oh, yeah. old uh, motorhome. Oh, yeah. Well, they took me, the first of all, his first big trip, he decided to go to Hawaii. And uh, my mom and dad and I, and we had balsa boards by then with fiberglass. Which, when was this exactly? 1953. Okay, so early and, 50s. Kobe uh, Alter to- made the board for my dad, and Greg Knoll made mine. You know, they were balsa wood and fiberglass. That was, man, a big deal uh, for the progress of surfboards back wow. then. Yeah. 
And so to get to Hawaii, there was no Los Angeles airport. We had to fly from Burbank to San Francisco, San Francisco to Honolulu on a propeller plane. 15 hours of freezing vibration. But hey, we stayed right on the beach at Waikiki. My dad and I are out there catching waves. My mom's in the outrigger canoe taking photos of us. So I was a pretty lucky kid. That's amazing. And then uh, two years later, my dad decided to explore Mexico, Baja, California. He bought a truck with a camper on it and bought a little aluminum boat with a motor, put that on top, our surfboards underneath the boat, and we crossed the border in Tijuana and got on these dirt roads and went all over Baja, California. Looking for waves. Looking for waves, and we'd find a spot. We'd find the beach, camp out, go out and catch a fish. My dad and I would surf. So we never saw another surfer anywhere down there. And as far as I know, we kind of explored the area. That's that's absolutely amazing. So you, you were you were basically uh, like brought up as a traveling surfer. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. yeah. Those are the stories that surf dreams are made of, right there, <laughs> Robert. That's beautiful. So let's talk about the endless summer because that's like the ultimate surf trip. I mean, you went around the world. How did you get a? Ch- how were you even involved with the movie? How did that happen? Well, I was I. My mom told me when I was like 11 or 12 years old, she said, Robert, you surf as good or better than any of these older guys. And I think it was repetition. I surfed every day. And Bruce Brown and two or three other guys started making surf movies that were basic 16 millimeter movies. And they would rent a high school auditorium up and down the California coast, put posters up on telephone poles, and we'd see it that said, surf movie, Tuesday night, Newport Harbor High School. We all went because that was the only information about our sport. It was so much fun. And Bruce Brown was one of those guys. Well, I knew Bruce from when I was a little kid, him hanging around. And he made three or four surf movies before the endless summer. And I was in all of those movies. We drove to Florida because we heard there were some surfers there. We flew from Honolulu to Kauai to check it out. There was no surfers anywhere on the island of Kauai. He found a car to rent from some local person. It wasn't a rent a car, but we had boards and rope to tie him on top. And it was me and Rich Chu, another Seal Beach kid, and he was real. He was a good surfer and athlete. And uh, anyway, I was a pretty lucky kid, and I was in his movies, and so, other guys too would want to go make a movie, and I was. So, so that's so how I did it. This was when you were in high school. Oh yeah, and then. When I was getting ready to graduate from Huntington Beach High School, I was a student body president. I was an A student. I never missed a day of school my last three years. I was focused on a career and a university. And uh, so Bruce Brown calls me when I'm getting ready to graduate and says, hey, Robert, I've got an amazing idea for my next movie, and I want you to be a part of it. And I went, okay, what? And he goes, okay, here's the deal. It's going to be you and another surfer. We're going to travel the world for eight months. And my idea is if you spent your life crossing the equator, you could theoretically spend your whole lifetime in summer. And I'm going to name this film The Endless Summer. And I went, okay, sounds interesting. And he's he's got this map of the world on the wall. And he's showing me where we're going to go. Well, air traffic was pretty limited back then. We knew there were surfers in Cape Town, South Africa because they were sending some materials from Southern California down there. Surfboard building materials. Yeah, and they were trying to figure out how to make a board and how to catch a wave. Well, there was no flights that went from New York down to Cape Town. The only way we could get there was to fly to um, Senegal, 
then to Ghana, to Nigeria, to Leopoldville, to Johannesburg, to get down to Cape Town. And all these other little flights were propeller planes. We had a jet that went across the ocean, and then the jet went back. But the plane would land someplace, and we'd be there a week or 10 days before it would leave to go to the next destination. So we'd do our best to communicate, try to find transportation, try to find a map, try to find a coastline to uh, see what was there. Okay, hold on, back up, back up. So many questions here, Robert. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there were, you took a transatlantic flight on a large Airbus or Boeing or a large, you know, early version of what we've got today. Oh, yeah. And then once you arrived in Senegal, you were taking one of these propeller planes, and they only went once a week, or every 10 days they would arrive and they'd depart. That was the start of your trip. Yeah. After you were in Cape Town, where did you guys go next? Well, we also heard there was surfers in Durban because they were getting some materials from Southern California to make surfboards and learn how. And Bruce had some communication with these people to let them know we were coming and what our schedule was. Well, there was no flights from... Cape Town to Durban so we hooked up with this guy that would drive us and he was he, he was worked for the uh, game reserve in the country and he was familiar with all the roads and everything and he had a pretty sturdy truck so we left with him to drive all the way up to Durban a long ways and we had a map that showed some roads that went to the coastline so we could check it out and see if there was any waves and a lot of them were dead ends. You know, we'd drive five hours on a terrible road, get to the coastline. It would be a 50-foot cliff, nothing to surf on, turn around, drive all the way back. So when we stumbled on to that Cape St. Francis way by accident, we just saw a point on the map. And there was a road going out in that area. So we went as far as we could and walked out to the ocean over all those sand dunes and stumbled onto that beautiful wave. So it was like a dream. You know, we were having fun meeting people and catching some waves. And when we stumbled onto that beautiful wave, it was, like I said, it was like a dream. This is a time where there's no internet, no Google Maps. You were just using nautical charts, basically following the, uh, uh, the weather patterns. You listen to what, a weather radio? No, no radio, no communication, no telephones, nothing on all these little trips. So you would just go to the coast and just hope there happened to be some swell. And you'd happen to be there at the right place, right time to get some waves. Oh, sure, because nobody had ever explored any of these places to ride waves, go surfing. When, when Bruce was making the itinerary, was he planning the trip when he thought there'd be the most swell activity? For example, were you in South Africa in the summer months of the year to get all of the uh, winter storms that were hitting the southern hemisphere? There was no weather forecasting back then. No, no communication about swell direction or possibilities, nothing. It was all exploration and by chance. Like I said, we went to so many places because we had to. The only way we wanted to get to Australia because we knew there was surfers there. But there was no flights across the Indian Ocean. We had to fly from from uh, Durban, we had to go up to uh, Kenya, to Arabia, to Yemen, down to India, to get across the ocean, to get to Australia. Incredible. And we'd be in these places for a week or 10 days before the plane would leave, these little propeller flights. 
So we did where we went where we had to go. And to, is it is it true that when you got to India that the government wouldn't let you take any of your uh, film gear? Huh? You couldn't do any shooting there. Oh yeah, they looked at these surfboards. They looked at these cameras, and back then it's still kind of sketchy. They're real segregated. You know, they've got the caste system with the untouchables that they treat like dirt. And they've got the wealthy people and this and that. And they just said, when they saw cameras, they said, no, you have to have a special permit. You have to have someone with you the whole time that you're filming anything to make sure you're not filming any of this negative stuff showing a bad light on our country. And Bruce tried like crazy to say, well, we're sorry about this and these, you know, this segregation thing you got going here. We just want to catch some waves and do some filming. And they said, no. They confiscated the surfboards, the cameras, and said, we know your flight. When you leave in 10 days, you be here. We'll put this stuff on your plane and goodbye. So you basically sat there for 10 days with no film gear, no surfboards. And yep. let, me, let me guess, the waves were good. We made it to the coastline. We stayed in a little place. It was beautiful, crystal clear water, like a sandy left point with three to five foot waves and no surfboards, no cameras, nothing. We went, oh my god and we went out we tried to body surf it but the wave was too fast to body surf you couldn't keep up with it and bruce said hey I, I don't care what it takes i'm going back to the airport i will bribe somebody i'll get the stuff we have to have it definitely he, understand that he left and mike and i were still sitting there in this little place by the beach and he came back five days later and said man they started to arrest me for attempted bribery and they said you're going to jail and he said, I screamed and begged and pleaded and promised, you know, and they let me go and said, don't you dare come back here until your plane's ready to go. He made it back and told us about this horrible experience he had. And we sat there for seven more days looking at these beautiful waves and no boards, no cameras, nothing. But it was really nice. So you just immersed yourself in the culture, just like sat around. I mean, obviously not a lot to do. Couldn't even get no board rentals or anything like that. Yeah, there was nothing there at Plenty all. Plenty to do, just no surfing. <laughs> yeah. But we, we, they did, they were English speaking. The people that settled that part of the world were English speaking. And uh, so we could communicate, you know, enough just to say we're hungry and what do we do? And do does our money work here? Because every country had their own money. So you'd try to exchange for the last country's money and it wasn't easy to find a bank and to get some food. But hey, I'll tell you that Bruce Brown guy was pretty innovative. We made it, we didn't starve. And uh, it was a pretty amazing trip. And you traveled for eight months? Eight months, yeah. Just the three of you? Just you, Mike Hinson, and Bruce Brown? That's it, nobody else. No like uh, assistant cameraman or <laughs> key grips or drivers or security or Heck no. anything? Just nope. Well, I think it was that is so much of the movie success is it was just a group of friends going on a big surf trip, like, and so, so much different to how it is today because everything's direct flights and you can get oh. boards anywhere and everything's kind of set up for that type of tourism. But you guys literally were the first to kind of go on those type of adventures because that's really what it was. And that's what's so much inspiring and a beautiful thing about the movie because yeah. it inspired me years later to go travel and have a look with my friends also. And so, like, I think that's the greatest thing about the movie because it is literally just three guys, some camera equipment, some some boards 
like how you guys must have got on with the the boards in different conditions and you know what i mean it's yeah because you just brought one board right oh yeah just one board oh, that was it no board bags back then you just oh, no. gave your surfboard to the airlines and just crossed your fingers well the way the boards were built back then because everybody thought the boards were expensive they were about a hundred dollars for a new board so the boards were had real heavy uh foam the foam was really dense, and all boards were double glass, top and bottom, with 10-ounce glass, which <laughs> is really strong. And so it's double-wrapped around the rails. On the rails of the boards was 40 ounces of fiberglass. Wow. You could hit them with a hammer. And we were gone for eight months. We surfed a lot of places that had rocks and stuff and no leashes. And when we got home, the boards had some scratches and stuff, but they were fine. What board were you riding? A 10-0? 10-4. 10-4. Yeah, okay. Mike's board was 10-foot. That right. was normal. Sure. A couple of 10-foot, like, beefy long boards, no leashes, uh, paddling to some... I mean, I watched the movie multiple times. There's a spot where you're paddling. The first wave, I think, the first spot you get to in Senegal, you've got to paddle out to that outer reef oh, an island yeah it was just it looked like like a 20 30 minute paddle or something oh, it was amazing you know we had this schedule we got there we found the beach they put us in that giant hotel that had just been built by some french company we were the first people to ever stay there there was nobody cool. around and so we're going okay this is the way our trip is starting and we look out and we see this island you know like 100 yards 200 yards off the beach a beautiful wave on each end of the island and we're going trips going pretty good so far look at this and it was nice and warm and comfortable water and it was a great part of the movie we got good waves right away but then you also got to spots like uh, in South Africa where the water was uh, obviously a lot colder and you didn't wear a wetsuit in any time in that in that movie at any point were you wearing a wetsuit no and that's one of the questions people go well if it water was that freezing why didn't you bring wetsuits there were no wetsuits then the first people to try to make wetsuits used this military rubber that the military was using for you know in the snow and stuff like that and so we that people tried to put it together and wear it it would cut into your neck and you would bleed and under your arms was just unbelievable you would just it would just cut into your armpits and you'd bleed so we chose to be cold and just try not to fall off you yeah. know and any type of bleeding in uh, south african wars was probably not a good thing to have <laughs> definitely so okay that brings up a good question what was the scariest thing that happened during the filming of the movie i mean you were gone for eight months traveled the world uh, what's the scariest thing that happened? What comes to mind? Well, frightening. I mean, we didn't have any big waves where we thought, you know, 25 foot to drown. We got some great waves all over periodically. But the one, when we got to Durban, after, you know, the long trip from Cape Town to Durban, we got there and they were learning how to surf and they were all excited to see us and learn. And uh, so right in the city limits of Durban, the whole city is surrounded by steel netting to keep the great white sharks out. And it worked, you know, we were catching some waves there and it was okay, it wasn't that great, but we were meeting the people and, you know, communicating and they were curious about all kinds of questions about surfing. And uh, so they were talking about the steel netting to keep these great whites out and everything. And we went, wow, we're glad it works, you know. And they said, well, you know, there's actually a place that we go surf outside of town where the waves can be a little better, you know, but it's outside of the steel netting. And we go, well, 
but you guys go there and surf? And they went, well, yeah, you know, sometimes it can be pretty good. And we said, well, let's go take a look. So we got in the cars, we drove out there, and, and we parked, and there was a little sandy area that went down, and the waves were a little better. It still wasn't great. And uh, so we said, sure, we're going to go out. And they were all sitting on the beach watching us, and it was kind of embarrassing. Every time we'd catch a wave, they'd applaud and yell because they'd never seen such surfing before. There was surfing, no, surfing was a new thing. There was no movies to watch. They were trying to just figure it out. So... And we were having fun, and, you know, we could hear all this commotion on the beach, and we look up there, and they're standing up, pointing in one direction, and yelling loud. And we sat up on our boards as best as we could and looked north, and we saw two fins, one like three feet tall out of the water, and one like two feet tall out of the water, coming in our direction. They were huge, huge great white sharks. And it was easy to see what it was because they had told us we were outside of the steel. And man, I'd never paddled so fast in my life. We just smoked it in, ran up the beach in the sand, and we saw these two giant sharks swim right through where we were sitting. They huh. weren't like charging around feeding. They were just going. But Checking man, you guys oh man, out. they were really huge. And so they, they went on by and the guys go, well, they're gone. Are you going to go back out? Are you out of your mind? The waves are definitely not that good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that that definitely wins is a scariest surf trip story right there. That would be, or at least it's up there. That would be a pretty scary experience. So I can see how that would top your list. Oh, yeah. Um, so after you shot the movie and you came back to California... How'd you feel? What did that, what did being in that movie, the making of it, the releasing of it, how did that impact your life? What, what was the biggest takeaways you took from it? And what, what was your greatest memories from the whole experience? Well, the memory was just this whole eight month experience. There were so many parts of it that were amazing. And like I said, eight months of travel. And, but when I, as soon as I got back, I enrolled in school at Long Beach State College because I wanted to continue the educational process. So I'm sitting through these classes, and, you know, they, tr they got me on the track team because when I was in high school, I was a league champion in pole vaulting. You know, there was no surfing when I was in school. We did all the other sports. I had no idea you were a pole vaulter. Oh, yeah. I, played I, guessed. I guessed he was a pole vaulter for sure. You knew that? <laughs> <laughs> How would you... <laughs> but it was fun. Man. Looks tough. The pole vaulting was amazing. I I loved the challenge of it. And, but anyway, uh, so I'm in college and I'm sitting there and my mind is wandering around about the whole world and the way all these people lived, and uh, you know they're trying to hustle me into a fraternity and teach me how to drink beer and I'm going yeah whatever and I was just not that enthralled with the the education on that level. It was kind of repetition and stuff that I already knew. And uh, so I just, I was just kind of wandering around. And by then, you know, a year and a half or two years later, the movie was showing everywhere. And then it became blown up into 35 millimeter and it was showing in every theater in America. And everybody was seeing the movie and all of a sudden it was a big deal. And so I just, I just realized that, you know, I had aspirations of being a dentist or being in the medical profession 
And then my mind started wandering around about surfing and meeting people and what I had just experienced. And even before the endless summer, what I experienced in surfing. And I just came to the conclusion, man, I'm a surfer. So I gave a phone call to, to Jacobs, Hap Jacobs, the guy who made my boards that I rode. Nobody was getting paid, but I'd get a free board. And he'd buy me a ticket to go to Hawaii in the wintertime and ride the big waves. So that was about it. But anyway, uh, I said, hey, you know, can I get a job in the surf thing, doing something, you know? And he said, really? Heck yeah, you can. And he had a huge retail store in Hermosa Beach, California. And he said, God, would you just work here in the retail, you know, and say hi to people and sell stuff? And I went, sure, sounds great. So I had to drive to Hermosa from Seal Beach every day, but it was a 45-minute drive. And, hey, I didn't have to be at work until 10 in the morning, so I'd surf every day before work, drive up there. And, boy, did I love it. People are, it's still the way it is today. At your surf camp, people are so happy to get aboard and go ride a wave and check the tides. And that's what I dealt with every day was all these happy people. They're getting aboard or they're going on a trip or they're, you know. It's awesome. It never gets old. No. And I just went, oh, my God, I love this. And I never looked back. I never went back to school. And then behind this great retail store, there was two shaping rooms. And there was two guys back there shaping surfboards, Jacob surfboards. And I was periodically looking back there and watching and in my little brain back then, I just went, oh, my gosh, I have to do that. This is so creative. Look at these guys walking back and forth and shaping. And I just, my little brain focused on it. And I was a salesman for a year or so, but watching and watching and watching. Gravitated towards shaping boys. Man, oh, man, I never looked back. And still to this day. I don't make the same thing all day long. It's not repetition. I make a skinny board for a kid. I make a great big one for some guy that weighs 280 pounds. And I just love it. It's still fun for me. That's awesome. So you took this amazing uh, trip for eight months. That pretty much sealed the deal for you. You realize you just want to be a surfer. You just want, oh, to, yeah. you just want to work in a surf shop. You just want to surf every day. You yeah. want to make surfboards. Yeah. Changed my life. And then, you know, 25 years later, Hollywood decided to make The Endless Summer too, And, you know, we all ended well. up in Costa Rica. That's how I came here. Yeah, I, I watched that movie when I was a senior in high school. That's what got me to come to Costa Rica in the first place, was watching you and uh, Wingnut and Pat O'Connell surfing Witch's Rock. I uh, said, wow, that was amazing. I had never been to Costa Rica. I came here for a month and a half because of that movie. And... Uh, yeah, it had some great waves out there. And I, so you didn't you didn't let us down. There was some great great surfing in Costa Rica, and I came down here, and it's exactly how it is. It's exactly how <laughs> I got down here. I took a three-month trip down here. But my first trip by myself, so in the summer with all my mates, we were sitting in uh, one of our houses watching it while trying to learn to surf on the east coast of England where the waves suck. But, you know, watching movies like that, Endless Summer, Endless Summer 2, and I was like, wow, that place looks amazing. Same thing, completely changed my life, and, you know, I traveled before that, but, like, because of those movies, decided to want to come down, and that's now ooh, a long time ago now. But it must have been quite a big decision for you to decide that you wanted to go in, to be a surfer in the surfing industry, because back then, imagine, like, saying that you're going to be a surfer wasn't really looked upon. There was no uh, rewards. There was no sponsorships, anything. You know, it was just fun. You just did it for and, the love. Uh, 
we just did it because it was fun and we liked it. And, you know, in the meantime, get a job so you can go surfing. So for anybody that's listening to the podcast that's considering maybe a big life change, they found surfing, they love surfing, maybe they've been doing it a long time and they want to take a big surf trip like, like what you did, maybe not eight months around the world, but maybe just for a week, but they still have these, uh, these concerns and these worries. But at the same time, they could have these great experiences if they, they went out and saw more of the world. What's your, what's your advice to someone who's maybe on the fence and a little scared about getting out there? Well, I'd say go if you even have a, an idea or a basic desire, do it. You know, whether it's surfing or golfing or something, get out of town, get out of your rut, and open your eyes and see what happens. See the people you meet and different, uh, different weather patterns. And when you get home, Boy, oh boy, you've really opened up your brain to a different part of life in the world. Just go. And if surfing's a good part of it, that's pretty darn good because you're going to get great exercise. You're going to learn a lot about the weather in different countries. And it's a great motivation to get you to get out of your normal pattern and do something. You're living down here in Tamarindo in Costa Rica and you're the sort of ambassador surfing uh, at Witches Rock Surf Camp. Um, you know, and you're still shaping. So uh, how, what's the best way to kind of like get in contact with you? Is people want a, a new board or, you know, want to see, uh, see you shape? Well, I'm at the surf camp almost every day. You know, there's different things that we do. We do the movie. I do a lecture about the history of surfing. You know, people will run into me and say, uh, what, kind, what time tomorrow are you going to be by, you know? And uh, can I talk to you about a board? Or, uh, hey, have you ever been up and seen the volcano? You know, we were thinking about going up there. And so I just as best as I can, go, hey, go up to the front desk. They'll point you anywhere you want to go. It's great. And so I interact with all kinds of people around the surf camp and around town. You'll see people at the grocery store, and, you know, it's just great. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Robert, I really want to thank you for being on the podcast, and I want you to know that I speak for a lot of people when I say you're a true inspiration for anyone who's a surfer that has this dream of exploring, seeing new spots. I mean, I feel like the world's a lot smaller and there's surfers everywhere these days. But then again, I've been taking a lot of trips and found some amazing waves with no one or hardly anyone, places where you wouldn't even think would be breaking. And a lot of that comes down to having watched your movie and being inspired to uh, go out and and uh, and live my own endless summer. So. It makes you feel very grateful, very, uh, very lucky. So I'm lucky to, I'm, I'm happy to. Well, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. He's to gonna there. go on a surf trip. Yeah, he's <laughs> done, yeah. We, just, we literally just got back. From <laughs> <one> <laughs> <as> well. <laughs> See, actually, my wife curses your name because I just blame you for every surf trip I go on. I say, well, you know, just blame Robert because he's the one that showed me it was such a good idea to go. Okay, to I got an idea for your next surf trip. Thinking back to the endless summer, we talked about India, the problem we had there with the surfboards and everything. I'm sure, you know, 55 years later, they're probably more agreeable. But I have never heard of anybody surfing anywhere on that whole coastline. It's west-facing. It's beautiful, tropical, crystal clear water. And the coastline was beautiful. There's got to be 25 spots to surf. It's really a long coastline. And I mentioned that to a few people, and they kind of cringe and go, Ooh, India, I don't know anybody that's ever been there to surf. Well, I don't think anybody's ever really given it a shot. I'm sure now it's pretty civilized and you could probably find, you know, easily a place to eat and sure. 
surf. I mean, and that place where we went, I told you, was a beautiful sandy left point. It was great waves. So, okay, I think that means a future uh, podcast episode from somewhere in India with Robert August. Somebody's got to go there and check it out, man. There you go. You're still planning surf trips even now, you know what I mean? Still trying to get out there to where there's nobody and where there's potential that there's some really great waves and uncrowded. Yeah. You still got the wanderlust. <laughs> right, Robert. Thanks for being on the show. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to the Get Out and Surf podcast. I'm Joe Walsh, coming to you from Tamarindo, Costa Rica. This podcast is brought to you by Witches Rock Surf Camp, located right on the beach in Tamarindo. You're going to love it. For more information, go to witchesrocksurfcamp.com. Thank you to Robert August for being on the show. Robert is definitely an inspiration to anyone that loves to travel and surf. You can find him hanging out at Witches Rock Surf Camp pretty much daily. And if you're in the U.S. or Canada and want to pick up a Robert August surfboard, check him out at robertaugust.com. Subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and more. Rate and review the show. You can give me five stars. You can give me one star. Obviously, five stars is better, but whatever you want, just give me a review and tell me what you like and don't like about the show so I can improve. Because my goal is to provide you with better and better content, make it worthwhile for you to listen to the show, ultimately inspire you to get out there and surf this beautiful world of ours. If you do like the show, do me a favor and share it with your friends. Let everyone know about it. Because this thing's going to grow, baby. And you're going to be part of it. Because you started listening from the beginning. So thank you. You can email the podcast at getoutandsurfcr at gmail.com. We release a new podcast every Friday. Make sure you're subscribed and you're good to go. All right then. I guess that's about it. Pura vida y nos vemos. I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it Hey, I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation every single day Every, every single day Every single day Sour like a lemon tree I'm just smiling down upon my enemies Do the shit and love it on a daily Say you hate your job but you'll never leave Never leave but that ain't gonna be me That ain't gonna be me My brother called me up said he saw me on TV I said it wasn't easy but right now I'm living breezy Build this engine from the ground up Now my hands they ain't so greasy Feel me? I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation every single day Every, every single day Every single day Every single day Every single day Every, every single day my future bride so thankful for everything rejuvenating my inner light as i work hard for all i need open arms embrace life and all the which you gave to me how work it pays off i'm happy now it's paying me close my eyes sometimes and feel as if i blow away i love the life i live and enjoy the ride along the way i'll make a living out of living yeah that's what i say i got one life to live and i would live no other way I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation every single day Every, every single day
If you don't like your life, then you should go and change 